If you're interested in small business, you're going to want to subscribe to the Small Business Showcase by Kaizentree. We meet with small business owners every week to discuss lessons that you can apply in your own journey. Learn from their failures, successes, and stories to discover how to build a life doing what you love. For those of you who already have a small business, be sure to check out kaizentree.com, an online platform that helps manage your inventory, sales channels, customer relationships, and more. Hello and welcome to the Small Business Showcase. My name is Marcos, and as always, it's great to have you here. With me today is Leah from This Lush Corner, a socially responsible fiber store based in the Snowy Mountains. Thanks for coming. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, could you start us off a bit about what it is that you're doing? Well, This Lush Corner is, a, as you said, a socially and environmentally sustainable yarn store. The whole concept started with the intent to, to nurture the connection between the materials and their raw source with the maker, the crafter. And that's through focusing on sustainable and ethically produced yarns, both here and, and around the world. Yeah. And so you essentially, you source these from different is it artisans who make it Yeah, and then they essentially uh, send it to you. Yeah, that's right. So I go through wholesalers who distribute it um, and also directly from the producers themselves. So we've got a few, a few yarns stocked here from Australia, from Sydney and also from rural New South Wales and also a few yarns from Nepal and Italy. That's great. Very exotic uh, variety there. (laughs) It's growing. And then when, when you receive them, do you sell them more online sort of as a, as a B2C or what are, you, what are some of your sales channels? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm, I'm an online retailer through the website and also through my social media platforms of Instagram and Facebook. But um, I also try to have a face-to-face presence with um, local mm-hmm. markets as well, small business markets. Oh, yeah. And try to get into some handmade markets as well. So this is fairly new startup. It's been going for about six months now. So it's trying to look at it as a bit of an organic process, really learning through experience what's working, where the sale channels are best to to capture the people who are who are crafters, knitters, crocheters, weavers. Yeah. So it's sort of selling to hobbyists and people who make it for themselves, as opposed to businesses who use it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a redistributor of these yarns at all. So I'm. What I really want to be is a platform to celebrate the businesses who are doing the hard work to create permaculture-grown yarns, uh, fibres, like whether they're plant-based or protein-based, to people who are looking at, you know, being GOT certified, looking at people reducing um, textile waste and landfill. They're looking at their energy consumption, their pesticides, all those sort of things. You know, they're looking at their environmental impact as well as, you know, trade practices. Yeah, so it's really about sort of sourcing and then selling a product that people can be proud of using. Yeah, oh. Especially when comparing it typical yarn where I know that a lot of the mass manufacturing is not quite good. Well, that's right. And I mean, you know, you can go to Spotlight, you can go to Linkraft or any of these other massive conglomerates where they sell you beautiful colours, they sell you beautiful yarn, but it's not necessarily traceable. You don't know where it's coming from, how it's produced. And I think if you're a crafter, you're investing a lot of yourself into it it's your mind space your energy and you're you're creating something you're proud of 
So just to look that extra step further of where does it come from? So then you've got a real connection of it in its raw state from an animal or plant. It's lovely to have the backstory behind what you're using. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, especially because it takes quite a long time to actually make or hand make things using the yarn. So a lot of love and blood, sweat and tears almost goes into practicing and then perfecting and actually making them in the end. I also wanted to ask, how, how did you get into selling yarn in particular? Did you have a background doing it before? Yeah, oh yeah, it's a lifelong obsession. It started as a kid, just keep your hands busy. Mum taught me basics of knitting. My nan taught me the basics of crochet. And, and you know, you play with it as a kid, you have a bit of fun with it. And then I suppose not till I became an adult that it really became a passion. It kept my hands busy. It was a de-stressor, a cathartic exercise really. And then it just built from there. I realised that it was not just a hobby anymore. It was something that I needed to take a, a more serious direction in. And so I guess you would have also seen on there wasn't so many suppliers of ethical yarn. And so it's sort of from there as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There are, well, here in Australia, there are a number of retailers and there's some really big um, wool events as well that celebrate those businesses or indie dyers, people who are dyeing their own yarn, people who are spinning their own yarn, Yeah, which, which is great. But there is not too many businesses that are solely exclusively looking at eco-based yarns in a variety of ranges. There are businesses out there in Australia who have beautiful yarn, but they're on their own brand. Yeah, no, I think it's really fascinating that you're trying to help sort of these communities of people who produce the yarn sort of connect them with people in Australia who are looking for a product that they can sort of be confident in their in their social impact with. Yeah. So you mentioned that some of them are plant-based. Do you know how, do you know how that works? Because it's quite fascinating. The first yarn that kickstarted this business last year was some plant-based fibres from Nepal. And these, mm-hmm. these included hemp, nettle, banana, silks, and I've also got some recycled sari as well. And getting it from there, it has a fascinating process, actually. They're all fair trade. Finding a company that would facilitate that was a little difficult, but um, it's really good to cultivate that relationship that's helping sort of local farmers over there. But to cultivate nettle and hemp, it takes so much less resources than in water and pesticides mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So yeah. environmental impact is significantly less than if you were to say growing cotton. These ones were hand spun, so they've got a bit of a rugged feel to them. Mm-hmm. a little coarse but they have been great for household items and um, bags and things like that so you know and showing people how they can work as well has been a lot of fun by creating patterns for people to recreate mm-hmm. it's been a lot of fun yeah yeah and i imagine maybe for the bananas fibers in the peel or is it all of the banana that gets used well it's not the, it's not the peel it's the stem and the leaf of the plant Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's probably been the biggest seller out of the bunch of those those fibers because people are just intrigued in the process and what you see in that, if I can ex- describe it well enough, it's really silky, shiny sheen to the mm-hmm. yarn. It's dense. It's not spongy like you would find in wool. You know, it, it's smooth, it's soft, and it's heavy as well. So people have really enjoyed playing with that. Yeah, I can imagine. And so you mentioned that you also have different patterns for people to use. So you sort of help with also maybe some newcomers and how to get started and how to use the, the yarns to make something. Yeah, definitely. I've got some free and some paid patterns on the website as well. I would love to invest more time and energy into to creating those. So it's a slow process, but definitely enjoyable to to give another option for people. But I mean, if you if you give people yarn, they're so creative. They just create anything that comes to mind. You can just free play with it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Have you ever considered running a workshop? I would absolutely love to do that. It's on my list of to-dos and things to work on on the short term. Yeah. I used to be a crochet teacher 
for a yarn store in Sydney. I did that for a little while. So I would love to kickstart that again. It was so great building relationships with other people as they learned. They got frustrated. They, we celebrated the wins. It was yeah, a lot of fun. So it was definitely something I would look at doing in the short term. Yeah. We had, we had someone else on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Her sort of form of marketing was to create workshops where she would show people how her products are made. And in doing so, I guess, demonstrate how difficult it is. And then from there, get an appreciation of the complexity of making her product. You know, people hypothetically could have gone in and made it themselves. But her argument was that actually a lot of the time they just want to do it as, you know, as a one-time thing. So they can say they've made one and then from then on, they have a much deeper relationship with the brand and a much greater appreciation. Yep. Um, yeah. So I think the workshops is a great, a great strategy. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Definitely does um, help people realize the investment and the, as you said, the complexity in it. Because I had one beautiful lady in a market once pick up um, one of the kits that I had. And it's a hemp bag that you sell mm-hmm. as a kit. It's got the yarn hook, everything for, for beginners. And she was quite surprised. She goes, well, I have to, I have to make that? <laughs> I said, well, that's, that's a part of the process. It's not just the end product. It's about you as the creator and achieving something yourself. So she, she was pleasantly surprised. We had a good chat about it. But changing people's mindset is probably half the battle, I think. Yeah. And I was also just thinking, you know, I guess with the lockdown, it's almost beneficial to you. People are at home spending more time. Uh, and I think this is where yarn and doing crocheting is where everyone all of a sudden has a lot of time to just sort of sit by the fireplace and, and work on their on their handmade things. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I have, have definitely experienced that too. Yeah, that's really positive. So it's interesting how, how the lockdown, it really affects businesses quite differently, where it seems like almost everyone we've been asked, their online sales have just shot up, which obviously makes sense, but even to the point that they're doing better off overall now than they were beforehand, which really is a big contrast to the sort of bricks and mortar stores where obviously their experience is a bit different. Yeah, very, very different. It's hit them a lot harder. So, you know, and then balancing the bricks and mortar day to day with the online sales as well and online presence would be difficult. So it is good that being solely online with just the um, occasional market means I can invest most of my time into it. Definitely have seen a small spike in people interacting and looking at the patterns and a few sales as well. It's been good. That's really great. I think probably one of the challenges I'd say is to sort of try to maintain that after the lockdown is over, where it seems like the workshops would be a good strategy to maintain that relationship after, yeah, after people are out and about again. I think that's the biggest thing about social media and marketing too, is creating a good stream of communication and, and genuine interaction with people that will keep bringing them back as well. So it's, it's like you, you know, having this mentality of give, 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 give them the information, give them inspiration, give them great product, and then hope that you see that in a return with making a sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's your sort of marketing at the moment? Are you doing any ads or is it more like, uh, I say you have a newsletter as well? Yeah, look, so I've done um, a couple of um, Instagram sort of Facebook ads. So my primary social media platform I use is Instagram. I've been using stories through that and I've just recently started using reels and video because that seems to be the thing that's becoming really popular. It's taking off. So using that has grabbed um, quite a bit of attention. I've also, um, on the side of the pattern making as well, I've been trying to um, release patterns through a magazine as well. That was a few months ago and working on the next issue as well. So working on, you know, paper copy things, hard hard copy versus the online as well, having a mixture of both those mm-hmm. avenues. Yeah. And what do you think seem to work from the best at the moment? Oh, probably the Instagram marketing has probably been the best. But with reels or with ads or with sort of just like posting and engagement? 
Yeah, so the between the reels and the paid advertisement, I'd say as far as gaining followers, um, the paid advertisements are probably the best. Reels are just getting a lot more attention, a lot more people seeing it, and then it does sort of come back through as followers and things and people tapping in through the site from there. Mm-hmm. I must say it's not my strength is to be looking at the analytics behind it and tracking things like that. It's a bit of a minefield I'm still trying to adjust to. <laughs> Yeah, I think they've improved the interface, so it's become easier to analyze. But yeah, it's definitely somewhat complex. And then is your plan to maintain the online, as like your main sales channel is online after the lockdown is over? Or are you, are you, are you planning on, on opening up some other methods? Obviously, you said markets. What's sort of the long-term uh, strategy? So I haven't got a timeline essentially fixed on goals to achieve. In the long term, I would love to have a bricks and mortar store somewhere close to home here mm-hmm. um, that would be my my ultimate goal but what I want to see is I want to see the online pickup I want to see regular sales possibly then look at my own yarn brand before I went down the road of bricks and mortar I'd say that would probably be something first but I mean these goals are looking at a couple of years time it's not necessarily just in a couple of months I think there has to be a fair financial backing to be able to resource some of those larger dreams so at the moment, it is a small business. It's sustaining itself at the moment, which is great, but I wouldn't say it's so successful that I can go down those bigger avenues at the moment. It can be quite daunting, especially when you're looking at some of the future goals compared to where, you know, at the start, you know, looking forward, it can be very, very intimidating. It's incredibly intimidating in a giant black hole of knowledge when there's no previous experience to sort of build from from that. So the online space is great. I can, you know, make silly little newbie mistakes and they're easily recoverable you know there's no giant financial debt that I'm in that I can't come back from unless I'm you know hitting a certain bracket all the time it's nice to be able to learn now from experience I've got a safety net still what would you say to people who are considering starting a business but maybe haven't quite taken the leap yet Um, obviously you did so six months ago um, so you might have some experience there yeah absolutely I mean really think it through got to be disciplined it's not just loving something you've got to look at the difficult sides of it be honest with yourself about where your lack of knowledge is your pitfalls I'm not always the most organized person I can dream big but don't necessarily ground everything really well so I really have to be incredibly methodical and disciplined and it's not an easy thing so I think you have to be extremely honest with yourself um, before you take a dream and and invest in it and take a take a leap definitely I think my biggest black hole was tech and you know how things integrate with itself so I took a leap even before the even business and I just played with websites as as a bit of a hobby and built that all up myself but in doing that I didn't think that this would become a legit business in the end so I've kept this same web page and then hoped that it would integrate with like a sales channel like Square And they don't talk to each other, you know, doing a market and then having an online sale, nothing integrates. So there's like this manual transfer of information. So I think if you can think about all the little facets, if you can, that would save you a lot of heartache, (laughs) stress in the long term. Certainly. I'm quite aware that a lot of them don't connect. So how how have you sort of tackled that at the moment? Manual entry. (laughs) Oh, I really haven't (laughs) at the moment. Yeah, look, all of my stock tracking and um, inventory is all done through the webpage. It's probably the best way to do it because that's where most of the stuff is happening. I'm trying not to have too many points of call where the Excel is just really just the raw material of the price, the costings and all that sort of tracking and, you know, the purchase Mm -hmm. things with the businesses. 
where square is sort of the, the second part. So whatever's tracked on there, I then just have to transfer that information on my own across. It's tedious. You know, it's, there's human error involved in that. Um, so I would love if they talk to each other. Um, so I have to make some big decisions, I think, in the future about how to rectify that. But you learn from experience, right? Yeah, certainly. And I guess just on that, I'm not sure if you've seen on our website, but that's actually one of the things that we do is we connect those because a lot of people don't have that uh, with their business, which as you as you mentioned, it's, it's very difficult with the manual entry. Heard a lot of stories where people will, obviously when you're in an Excel, you don't know when you make a human error unless you are very cute on staying on top of everything. There's been a lot of nightmare stories that we've heard of where people accidentally add a zero or they accidentally remove a digit and place a big order to restock when they have more or they have some stock, which they think is set aside for Christmas and then Christmas comes and there's nothing that's in the back room. And yeah, there's been a lot of a, a lot of stories like that. So I think you touched on a good point that having a sort of a foundation for growth that is not going to bite you back yep. as, as you scale up is pretty important because especially it's like the last thing you want as you're focusing on growing your customers is to then have a problem where you can't actually service the orders. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think that would hurt your reputation in a way too. I mean, you, you would recover from it in the long term, but they're sort of big mistakes you just don't, you don't want to face by experience. Oh yeah, of course. Stephen, usually we don't talk about us in the podcast, but like for, for me, that's something that I'm proud of that we've been able to help quite a few businesses within that area. Yeah. My highlight is hearing about their stories. I guess maybe on what we were previously talking about and sort of getting started, do you have any tips for people or some pitfalls to avoid when starting out? So it's really hard to determine what the pitfalls were, whether they were just in my own making or they were being blindsided by things in the business. But mm -hmm. I did do a lot of reading about before I decided to go down the arm business, before I imported anything from overseas, what taxes were I up for? Am I having to put through a BAS form, um, a, a mm -hmm. financial term? What are my legal sort of rights on that? What sort of product and public liability was I up for? So I did quite a lot of reading before I went that road. Of, so I'd say I was fairly well organised in this, but I would definitely talk to people. I started talking to someone through the Beck Centre, which is a business education, and they just gave me some of, from a small business perspective, um, you know, because I come from allied health, health sciences. So this is like totally different avenue, a 360. So I had, yeah, no experience to go from. So talking to people would be my best recommendation for people. Gain the knowledge, read, and just, you know, just make notes on everything. Just reminders for yourself and try and make life easy for yourself. Don't have the expectation that you need to do everything because time is probably the resource that's just going to evaporate on you. Oh, yeah. You know, ask for help. There's no stupid questions. Just ask the questions, clear it up. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. I think with regards to the accounting side, I think that's quite a black box to a lot of people, Yeah, especially those BAS forms. I think on your end, the, the import taxation process is probably very enjoyable for you. <laughs> well, the end result's exciting. Going through the process can be a little painful, particularly when you're starting something during COVID. It does take quite some time to get things through quarantine. Yeah, I, I have heard a bit about that. So did you do all this sort of the taxing side yourself or did you end up sort of delegating it to, to a small business accountant or what was your approach there? Well, I'm a sole trader, so it, it's through my own tax number and stuff. And it being so small, there's no GST that I'm accounted for at the moment. I haven't hit that gap just yet. So I'm also really fortunate that my partner's pretty savvy with working out numbers and things and That's you great. Know, coordinating me on that. So he, he has been probably my biggest influence in grounding some of that more practical dark side of the business yeah, yeah that's really great sort of you know delegating and working obviously it's very convenient for you to have that 
um, you know, even just with friends and family, you know, asking them for their strengths and then and, and having them help you. Because time is, is really a key resource that will go very quickly, especially when it's you doing everything as a small business owner. It's a tall order for anyone. Yeah. So sort of wrapping up here, where can our, our listeners actually find you and how can they hear more about you? Uh, well, through the webpage, um, thislushcorner.com. But you can also find me with the same name on Instagram and Facebook, This Lush Corner. They're probably the three best channels to find me on. If you want to be in contact either via um, email or yeah, messaging, I'll take personal messages through those channels as well. Perfect. And we'll include the links to all of those in the podcast description so that everyone can take a look and, and hopefully check it out because I highly recommend it. Um, obviously, people listening can't see at the moment, but the background behind Leah is all these really vibrant looking yarns. So I recommend taking a look at, at the website so you can see for yourself. Thank you for coming on the show. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much for having me. It was great talking. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Showcase. If you liked the episode, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss out on the next one. The discussion continues online. Head over to kaizentree.com articles to share your thoughts on today's show and to read some of our articles which cover useful topics such as what to do about Apple's new iOS update. For more from Kaizen Tree, follow our Instagram at Kaizen Tree or visit our website www.kaizentree.com. That's www.kaizentree.com.